0: test, test, test. Okay. This is working now. That's so weird. I know I start, I'm just going to start talking then. I know I start every episode with a disclaimer about audio. Um, but the weirdest thing I'm in California. Um, and so when I'm on Tabor's microphone, the audio will automatically sound a thousand times better. But, um, I like had to, he got new computers, And I'd re-download Audacity. This is boring. Nobody cares. But like, I couldn't get it to work, and I don't didn't know why. And so I just like signed up for like two different free trials just to just to figure out how to record. And now that I'm thinking about it, I could have just done this from my phone. But whatever. Um, it's working now, and I don't know why. (sighs) Tabor restarted the computer, and I hate hate when like restarting the computer works you know it's like the something's not working somebody tells you to turn it off and try to turn it back on like I really 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 hate when that's actually the solution because it just makes me feel dumb okay so hi it's been several weeks like three I went two weeks without doing an episode and not that I really think anybody's listening to this at all so nobody really probably like noticed or cared um but if you did notice or care um I took a couple of weeks off from podcasting, but I also kind of took a couple of weeks off from life. I will back up. So I don't really know how to start talking about this. So I'm just going to start talking. This is a solo episode. Um, kind of like, I guess like a life update, but also a um, PSA seems like the wrong term. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I mean by that, but I just... Ha- I don't know if you all can hear my child screaming. Hold on. So, my daughter Rue and I flew um, to California last week. We've been here a week um, and we have a new rental house. I like every year we've been in California with 49ers, we've been in like very unstable housing. (laughs) Like, David was living in like a studio apartment and someone's guest house his first year. And then last year, Or, well, the first year was in a hotel, and then it was the guest house. And then last year, it was, like, you know, the shitty Airbnb with the futon um, that, you know, everybody's heard about a million times. So, for the first time, we have a really nice rental house um, and bought our own furniture that's just going to be, like, the football furniture. And it's in a cute area. It's really comfortable. Like, I feel like we actually – I feel like (laughs) – having a stable living situation out here for the first time is making this feel a little bit more comfortable for me, which I obviously is something that I've struggled with. Um, But all that to say is that I, we've been here a week and it's so fucking hot. I'm going home tomorrow. I was going to stay a couple more days, but the 49ers like every NFL teams during camp, they do um, well, so table left for camp, but we'll get to that. Um, They do like joint practices at one, teams like home um and the 49ers are going to the Raiders in Vegas next week so Tabor's not going to be here I don't really have a reason to be here um so I'm going to go home tomorrow be home for a couple weeks and then probably we'll come back out here um because every year the beginning of the season teams do like fun things for families like last year or typically the 49ers will do um, like a p- player party, which we didn't get to go to last year because someone had RSV, and by someone I mean our entire family. Um, and then they do like an event for the wives or partners, and that's really fun. And then there's just kind of like you know the new season things, and it's so it's like really fun. I had I had so much fun at camp the last few days, even though it was so like satanically hot. Um, it's just like California is so weird. Like it's so, it's like almost cold. If the sun's not even, even when the sun's out, like if you're not in the sun, you're like cold. But then when you're in the sun, you want to die because it's so hot. It's very strange. Anyway. Um, I don't know. That's just like how weather works. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I saying? I can't remember. I'm so tired. So it's, I've had a lot of fun because I feel like this is the first year where I like recognize people and I know people like on the personnel staff and like the community relations girls like it like I have friends like on the coaching staff like it's really it feels so comfortable and so good to just feel like calm and familiar um, because that's not something that I felt like last year was the first year that I've come to camp in San Francisco. And so it was like meeting people and I wasn't super familiar with like the staff. Um, and it just feels so like recognizing security guards is so cool. (laughs) It's just like the little things that I think in the NFL, um, players and also families, like we take, like we take for granted. Um, but like, there's just such a sense of security and a sense of calmness um, to like walk in and recognize security guards and then remember you and like ask how you're doing. It's so that's been really lovely. Um, okay. I'm going to back up. So the last episode I put out, I was with my friend Katie and we, you know, if you didn't listen to it, like, don't worry about it. <laughs> we, I was having a really hard parenting week, um, or like parenting season. Um, and there are a lot of layers to that. So to kind of like, and right after that, I think we recorded that on like a Friday. And then a couple days later, something happened. And without getting like too, it's this is such a hard thing to talk about because I'm like, I want to be a believer that cycles are broken and fears are released when stories are told in safe places. but is the internet a safe place (laughs) like is putting this out to the masses like actually safe um I'm very nervous but I think I know that there's a lot of people who suffer from what I'm about to talk about in silence and alone because I did for a really long time partially because I was embarrassed partially because I didn't know what was happening um so I hope that this is a safe place and if it's not I'll take it down so that's kind of where we're working from okay so i'm gonna back up like a lot when i was pregnant i was very depressed i vividly remember when it started um i was really sick and by sick i mean like i was nauseous 100 of the time it did not go away i like i you know the only thing that would give me relief sometimes was actually throwing up or taking zofran but then i started to have heart problems and so i had to be careful about the zofran and i don't like i will get very specific because a lot of this has to do with medication so um i also was taking an ssri in pregnancy and that can like there's a specific thing on an EKG that like it can affect. So the point of the story is I had to be careful with Zofran because I was so sick. I don't know if because, or also it was, I don't know if it was like compounding factors or I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. I became deeply depressed very quickly. I found out I was pregnant so fast, like way before I missed my period, like several days. So I found out I was pregnant at like three and a half weeks, like the earliest you possibly could know. And by week seven, I was having horrible intrusive thoughts. I was having, um, first of all, I'm going to put a trigger warning on this entire episode, and I will in the show notes. So huge trigger warning. If you do not feel comfortable in your own mental health experiences, if you feel like me talking about anything to do with anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, pregnancy, postpartum, if any of that is triggering at all, please turn this off. I do not want to be a cause of harm. Um, even if it's five seconds worth of distress, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, so with all of those triggers around seven weeks, I remember, um, and I, I'm starting back at the beginning of pregnancy because, I've been regurgitating the story so much in the last couple of weeks that it's relevant. So three and a half weeks, I found out I was pregnant at six weeks on the dot. I started getting really nauseous. I, it was six weeks and zero days. I got up, I made myself breakfast and I sat down to eat it. And I am a huge breakfast person. Like people who are like, I don't eat breakfast. Like, no, I'm, I'm a huge breakfast person. I've you know, believer that breakfast is the most important meal of the day because I think it ha- contains the best food. So I made myself like Trader Joe's. I remember this very vividly. I made myself Trader Joe's, um, toaster. What are those things? The, the hash brown toaster things with an avocado and eggs. And I sat down to eat it and I was like, Oh, I can't swallow this. Oh my God. I was like, is this how it happens? Like that fast. And then I went to a doctor's appointment where I had to get a bunch of blood taken and it was before they even took the blood I was sitting in the office with a mask on. Cause it was like, you know, you still had a mask at that time. You might still, I don't know at the doctor's office, whatever. Um, and I was sitting in the office and I was like, I think I'm gonna throw up. And that was at six weeks and zero days. And it did not stop the entire time. Um, and about two weeks after that, I was in the shower and my mom got to my house. It was really, really, really early in the morning. My mom got to my house to pick me up to take me to the airport uh, because I was flying to California. I was flying directly to, like, I was basically going to the stadium, like, from the airport um, because it was, like, a Sunday morning. I was, it was the morning of a game. And my mom got, and I already was like, I don't really want to go. Like, I just want to. And for people who, like, have been around a while, I wasn't, I experienced a lot of my pregnancy alone, which... Hindsight is 2020, obviously, looking well, I'll get there. But I spent a lot of my pregnancy alone and because of like mainly because we had a horribly uncomfortable living situation in California. For Tabor, it was fine, it was a studio, like whatever. He he can live out of a hotel. He doesn't care. It was not conducive to two people, nonetheless, like one of them being pregnant. Like it was a bed, a card table for his computer and that's it like there was not a chair there was not a table there wasn't like i'm it was literally like a hotel room um so me being out in california was like very uncomfortable and me being home i was obviously way more comfortable i was in my own space but i was by myself and flying i don't know if anybody has ever flown nauseous with a mask on not a blast so um i remember that morning i was like i do not want to get on this plane i was like barely standing up in the shower And my mom walked in my bathroom and told me that my grandpa died. And I was like, okay, so I super don't want to go even more. She encouraged me to go. I barely made the flight. Um, Like I reluctantly got on the plane. I got to the stadium. I sat in silence basically. And I remember being at the stadium. I remember texting my friend, Heather. I remember texting her. I feel so depressed. Like, I shouldn't feel like this. There is something wrong. And that just didn't go away. And I lived like that for a few months. I assumed it was because I was so sick that I couldn't really enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy pregnancy. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I just didn't feel like I could enjoy a second of it because when I wasn't feeling physically ill, I felt mentally ill. Um, it wasn't anxiety. It was a deep apathy. I didn't ooh and ah when I felt her kick for the first time. I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I remember getting my first ultrasound and looking at the screen and being like, oh, like it almost it was almost like it wasn't clicking at all. And I can ruminate on that all I want because I do trust me, um, but it just kind of stayed that way, and because I was by myself, I think nobody really noticed. And then in like February, um, I think it was probably yeah, it was probably around twenty weeks. Is when Tabor got home. And then I was feeling like a little bit better physically um but like the mental piece was just kind of there still and in the meantime in all that like other things had popped up like I started having these heart things and like I had to go to see a cardiologist I had to wear this heart monitor I had to like I that's when they realized that I had pots like I was so faint like I was like having these horrific hypoglycemic spells where like I couldn't drive for a little while like it was just like one thing after another um and like I think it was probably late February early March I had a virtual appointment with my OB and I was like listen like there's something wrong like I feel really sad like I feel I don't like I shouldn't be feeling this way and I don't want to get into like a lot of specifics but I was having certain thoughts that I knew were not mine and were not normal. Isn't even like close. Like it doesn't like, but I also don't like that word. It just, it was very distressing. Um, And so my doctor increased the medication that I was on because I stayed on my SSRI throughout pregnancy. It's, this is not medical advice, but it's widely recognized to be safe, um, to stay on, specific medication. And I did, but it was explained to me that because of the extra blood volume in your body, again, this is not medical advice. I don't know my ass for my elbow, but this is just what I was told. And this is me very poorly regurgitating it because of the extra blood volume in your body. When you're pregnant, your body like dilutes your medication. So basically my the SSRI I was on wasn't acting as effectively. So she increased the dosage, but I had maxed... I was already at the max dose. And this is very personal, And but the context matters. So I was already at the highest dose, and she was going above that. So meaning when I was no longer pregnant, I had to bump back down. So after the increase of the medication, I definitely felt a little bit better. Not like a lot, but I definitely... I felt a little bit lifted, like I was able to like I don't know. I was able to enjoy nesting and doing all that stuff. And like I remember that kind of kicked in um right around my baby shower. My baby shower was the best weekend ever with my best friends, the best people on the planet. I laughed my ass off. Like we had the best time. And I remember telling Tabor, like, I've had nothing to look forward to. Like I was looking forward to that weekend so much and I wish it would have lasted forever. Um and right after that things kind of like went downhill a little bit again because Tabor left for OTAs and I was by myself again. Um and he was coming home like every couple weeks. Flights are expensive. Um I was asking him to come home as much as possible, but it was hard. Um so I was, you know, at the end of my pregnancy alone again. I was in excruciating pain all the time and still nauseous. I couldn't eat anything. Um, I went through a really hard I, – I was having a really hard time getting weight. Um, and we're getting into all this anyway. So I have a history of eating disorders, and it's not uncommon for eating disorders to surface in pregnancy. Tip, but I had it kind of like backwards where – because I was so sick that I couldn't keep, I wasn't hungry, right? So I was having a hard time taking in enough calories. But then the fear of like not eating enough, I would force feed myself. And then by force feeding myself, I would then throw up. So it was completely counterintuitive. Um, And I was, I had like eating disorder triggers come up like almost in the opposite way that I used to where, I was afraid to eat, but it wasn't because I was afraid of gaining weight. It was because I was afraid of how the food was going to make me feel, which was a mind fuck. I would say the two biggest things that popped up with like the neuroses around food was that, yeah, I was afraid to eat because of how it was going to physically make me feel because then I gained a fear of vomiting. Um, but then I also counting calories, no matter what the purpose is, is going to trigger you. If you have a history of eating disorders, I haven't counted calories in, I mean, years, years, a really long, like six or seven years. I have not, I've not thought about it. I haven't read a nutrition label. It's not something I do anymore. I have found so much freedom from that part of my life. It's probably the most, it's probably the thing that I'm maybe top five things I'm most proud of is the way that I was able to recover from my disordered eating. And because of that, I don't exercise, like I don't practice a lot of eating disorder behaviors. However, when you are forced to count calories because you you must gain weight, a certain amount of weight to have a healthy baby, um, it was really hard. And I felt like something in my brain was just like off, like something just turned off. I don't know. It was really, I honestly have a hard time remembering like the food part because it was like, You know, people tell you all the time, like, if you have a bad pregnancy, like, oh, it'll all be worth it. Like, you'll forget. First of all, saying it'll all be worth it is, like, such a weird way to quantify a human life. Like, that's such a fucking stupid thing to say. If you've ever said something to, if you've ever said that to somebody, like, take it back because it's a dumb thing to say that it'll be worth it. Like, worth what? Like, what is a human life worth? There it, it's a really, it's just a stupid thing to say. So just like, don't, it's one of those throwaway comments that like you think is helpful, but it's not. And then the other thing that people say all the time is, oh, you'll forget, you'll forget. You're wrong. I definitely didn't forget. I deeply, deeply did not forget. But the one, but I do forget like the really exactly like my my mindset behind the food thing because it was weird. It was really hard, but I, because I was gaining such little weight, I had to have an extra growth scan. There were like interuterine growth concerns. She ended up, she was technically fine, but like, she was born so small. She was born so small. Um, but like, she's thriving now she's fine. But I didn't think that's what I was going to cry about on this, but, um, I like, there was so much guilt and like, I feel like I can't, like, she's not thriving because I'm, I can't like provide nutrients and everybody kept telling me and nurses and doctors and they kept telling me she will take what she needs first and you'll basically get like what's left, which checked out because I was not, I mean I didn't feel well by any means. Um, But because of all of this, like there was a mental health um, like it, it was deeply affected because of the physical symptoms and again I don't know what came first the chicken or the egg like I don't know if I would have like experienced perinatal depression anyway who knows but um I just didn't enjoy a minute of it and I felt a lot of apathy throughout and I didn't know that you could experience depression in pregnancy I feel like postpartum depression is a it's a household term. Every my, my best friend who knows nothing about babies, he's man. He even knows what postpartum depression is. Like, But nobody told me, hey, that can start when you're pregnant. It can actually start at like seven and a half weeks, which by my calendar is when it began. Um, And I think that may be the work of, I don't know, that might be like the work of my life and my calling is to make People know that that can happen because I feel like so much joy was stolen from me if I would have known what was happening to me um, and could have, it just could have made things different. Um, and by the end, I was suffering so much. And I've talked about this before, like the whole birth story of it all. Like I had peridromal labor for weeks, and my doula said to me, I can't remember if I've said this, I said this on the podcast also, but like, my doula told me that there's a difference between pain and suffering, um, and she was talking about like like labor pain of like are you in pain or are you suffering? And I took that very metaphorically as I always do. Um, and there's a there was a difference between pain and suffering. And in the end, I was suffering um, because I had been in so much pain and that's part of why i chose to be electively induced that ended up being medical for so many reasons but like whatever um by the end i was suffering and when i was admitted to be induced i just felt so much fucking relief i felt so much relief i had a beautiful birth and and but i had a beautiful birth it went as healthily as it could have possibly gone very minimal intervention, like hardly at all. It was as peaceful and beautiful as it could have been being in a hospital. But I can't believe I'm about to talk about this. Okay, So something that can happen when you're pregnant is that if you've experienced any sort of sexual trauma, It's really common for that trauma to resurface when you're pregnant. And it's because you're vulnerable. It's because it it revolves around that part of your body. Um, And I was told, and I knew that. I knew that. However, when I was giving birth, um, when I was in labor, I had flashbacks and memories of that trauma. And it greatly affected the first day of my daughter's life. It was really distressing. It was really awful. Um, I told very few people. And I was very mad that that happened. But it turns out it does. And I felt better the next day. Um, But it definitely affected You know, I've talked about how I didn't feel that instant love connection. I definitely think that was part of it. Um, There was something going on in my brain chemically that I didn't understand, but was very distressing. Um, And then the next day, things got better. I felt, like I said, uh, just instant relief. So much relief to no longer be pregnant, but also to have a healthy baby and Like I said, she was really small, and I chose not to breastfeed because so many reasons, but um, a big one was I know that breastfeeding is a massive, massive um, contributor to postpartum depression, and I wanted to eliminate absolutely any factor that I possibly could. So I took that off the table. She was also so small, I needed to know how much she was eating. Um, So she was gaining weight, thriving. She's doing fine. And we had like two weeks of being okay, like two weeks of being fine, Um, and then something happened Fourth of July. Like I don't, I don't know what it is. Like I'm not setting up a story. Like just something happened where I just woke up one morning and I felt like a pit. I had this pit of anxiety. I had this pit of like, oh my god, like it was just like doom um and that didn't really go away but I didn't feel depressed right like I didn't feel depressed anymore even Tabor even made comments of like I feel like I have my wife back like he said that to me multiple times because I just didn't feel depressed anymore but I didn't really have this and but there was just this like I didn't know what postpartum anxiety specifically was and like I I had I had talked to a, a perinatal I'm gonna be honest I don't really understand the difference between perinatal prenatal postpartum like they're all all of these words are like I think they all kind of mean the same thing but so I talked to a psychiatrist who like specializes in postpartum um back then and he was a guy which like no hate no shade to male doctors for women focused issues like I he was a really nice man he had multiple children he used anecdotes from his wife like I appreciated his insight but I think if I would have talked to a woman my experience might have been a little bit different because he I don't know, maybe not because like that's okay, end statement, moving on. So he he explained to me, you know, like there's a certain amount of uh like intrinsic animalistic drive to keep this new human alive. Right? So there's like there's anxiety that's just like there because you have to you have this huge responsibility. So like it's almost like not that weird to feel like anxious about keeping this person alive. It's when it becomes you know, unrealistic, too much, um, it, it's impeding on your ability to enjoy your life, enjoy your baby, exist in the world. like what I call like not humaning well. like if it stops you from humaning well, like it, then it's an issue. and I and I thought that was actually a pretty helpful like, barometer of, like, okay, is this, like, a warranted amount of fear? And I felt, like, pretty okay with that um, for a while. However, I have – if you would have asked me three months ago, what is your demon, my answer would be depression. It would not be anxiety. Um, however, I was wrong, and – there has been something in my brain, my whole life. My earliest memory of anxiety is when I was like six or seven, and it was about my food allergies. And like that's my earliest memory of like that like fight or flight physiological response. I was a very small child, okay. and I was over my food allergies. And then like you know, obviously anxiety just then takes form and other things, but. Um, there has been something that has been there the entire time and I always kind of thought that like I always had these things about me that like I called quirks whether it was like I needed to shut a door all the way I needed to like um clear my throat a certain amount of times I needed to um I almost have like facial tics like there are and my husband knows what I'm talking about like these things that I just called quirks that I thought were normal. (laughs) Um, And as I've gotten older and honestly, I've had more access to information. um, I started noticing like, I just started noticing more. And I remember seeing a graphic on Instagram, like on my explore page about OCD probably about a year ago. And when I saw it, when I looked at it, it like gave me this pit in my stomach of like, oh my god, like I don't because it resonated so much and I had never considered that that was something that I could have because I thought OCD was like you wash your hands a lot or you're like afraid of germs or like I remember the person in the news like who like I feel like talked a lot about having OCD was Howie Mandel and he like wouldn't shake people's hands. So like I thought of that in like the colloquial sense of like, Oh, you're just really organized. You're really neat. Or I'm, you know, people say, you know, flippantly like, Oh, I'm so OCD about this. Like I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And I talked to that same psychiatrist, the one who was a man. Um, I remember talking to him when my daughter was maybe like six weeks old and uh, and I told him, I think it was, it must have been around that time because I told him like, I have these like quirks, I have anxieties about certain things that doesn't seem like totally reasonable. I it's so annoying when people try to diagnose themselves. TikTok has like ruined probably the psychiatric field because everybody's like everybody's trying to, like we all have white coat syndrome. Um, and I said that to him, and he was like, eh, those just sound like anxiety, and I was like, okay. So throughout the last year, I have struggled with a lot of different things that again, it didn't feel like depression. It didn't feel like anxiety. It just felt off. Like there was something that was just off. And I had this huge medical trauma. Um, I felt like I'm pretty okay actually. Like when Tabor got home, I felt like we were in a groove. He was figuring out how to be a parent, like full time. I was like trying to get a break because I was so clinically burnt out. Um And then as he got home, I had this major, major medical trauma happen to me where I almost bled to death because of a complication from a very, very routine surgery. And there was medical negligence. I'm not going to get into that. It unfortunately is what it is, but it was very traumatizing. And it sent me into a... I guess depression, I guess just something something in my brain just felt like it like broke. So I my therapist connected me with a perinatal psychiatrist. Um who was great and I did, you know, the initial evaluation, the initial intake. This was in probably April or maybe July. This was April. I did the intake. Um it was like an hour and a half long appointment and at the end of it she said Haley, I think you have OCD. And I said, I know. (laughs) Because in the last, you know, since I talked to the first psychiatrist who didn't pay attention, I started reading and understanding and discovered other people in my life who have this. And I started walking back my life. And it's glaringly obvious and she explained that there's a difference between like some people have obsessive compulsive disorder and some people have obsessive compulsive personalities and like the different and again i am not a medical professional i'm just trying to like remember what she explained to me and it might be totally wrong so take this with negative grains of salt basically like obsessive compulsive disorder obviously is a mental illness or it's a, it's a it's a disorder that inhibits your quality of life um Obsessive compulsive like personality is more like you know you like things really neat and organized and tidy and more of like the like the colloquial way that we like use the term, um, and at first she was like I don't know if you're maybe the, but it, it doesn't matter I eventually I got a formal diagnosis um, that I have OCD and when that happened it's like a light turned on in my brain. And the more I started to understand and research and be told and be educated, um, everything just kind of it kind of made sense. Not kind of. Every, everything made more sense. With OCD, there there are many different like ways that it manifests and symptoms and um, like almost like subtypes. Again, I'm learning about this every day, but. Um, With OCD, there's always a thing that you're obsessed with. The type and the type that mine like manifests as is like ruminations and thought obsessions and um, checking, and whether that's physical checking of like checking doors or like um, checking emotions and like checking in with people uh, that people aren't mad at you, that aren't. So to kind of back up, the way that this even really like kind of fell apart is that I get the diagnosis. And I had, like I mentioned before, I had maxed out that specific medication. I then, the psychiatrist then changes me to a different medication that, in my unprofessional opinion, led me to a nervous breakdown. I am doing a this thing where you like test medications with your DNA and like see if it's like compatible with you because i have a feeling that this is going to, like if i test this one certain medication it's going to be like this could kill you like it turns out that my mom also tried this one specific medication and it gave her such debilitating anxiety she couldn't leave the house for 4 days so like there's a genetic component there i wish i would have asked her um that was a mistake because if i would have i wouldn't have done it but whatever so I had to taper off of the first medication that, turns out, was masking a fuck ton of anxiety because, like I said, if you would have asked me three months ago, what's your demon, I would have said depression. I don't care what people think anymore. I don't think about what people think. I don't, I don't, think, I don't, I don't have a conversation with people and then leave the conversation and, and replay what I said. I don't do that anymore. And all of a sudden, I was doing that again. I was, I was walking back my steps with things. I was worried about the way I was being perceived. I was nervous about things that I could not have given four and a half shits about maybe 10 days prior. And so I quickly realized, like, this is not working. Well, we, certain things happened. Mistakes were made. And I, two weeks ago... I don't know if it's quantified as a psychotic break, but I had, I experienced a major, major chemical um, imbalance that was really scary and led to a hospital visit, an ER visit, and I was terrified. I was traumatized. Um, but I learned a lesson about medication. And I have stabilized a little bit. But I have experienced anxiety that I have not felt in, ever, ever. I've woken up with panic attacks every day. Not like, oh, I just wake up with panic. Like I wake up with full physiological symptoms of a panic attack, chills, GI issues, heart heart beating, heart heart racing, shaking. I'm, I'm very, very self-conscious of my voice lately because I feel like I hear my voice shake. Um, it's confusing. And I've woken up that way every day for three weeks. Um, it's getting a little bit better, but like today's not a great day, but yesterday was a little bit Yesterday, I would say I felt ninety percent better, which was huge (laughs) because I haven't felt that way in weeks. Um, Today's not great. I think maybe because I know I'm flying tomorrow. I don't know, but um, it's been hard. It's been really hard, and kind of walking back, like, like I said, when I got this diagnosis everything in my life started to make sense and i mean what i mean by that is like i was able to walk back the last 15 years and tell you what my obsession was with ocd or at least the type that i experienced there's always a thing ocd will latch on always to something currently it's things about my daughter before that it was my dog before that it was about moving to miami and tabor and i being in miami and before that it was about my ex-husband and before that it was eating disorders which started when I was 19 and you know in all of this I talked to my mom a lot and you know a couple weeks ago when I was really like in the probably I would probably say I would like a step up from rock bottom I asked her you know like have you like what did you notice have you noticed anything like what did you notice anything in my life that like would lead to this and like when you don't really know about an illness or a disorder like you don't know what you're looking for right and she said no and she said you know like she kind of thought the same thing that I did that you know OCD is about washing your hands or it's about I don't know cleanliness or organization and she didn't really get it and the thing that i told her that i will also share the thing that made her understand is that i will give an example when i was in the thick of my eating disorders i was miss michigan and even after miss america it wasn't even like uh, this this was happening for miss america like no it was just i was just living with this and this lasted for a while when i was in the thick of the disordered eating i could only eat in three-hour increments at 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9. Not a minute before, not a minute after. Maybe a minute after, but not a minute before. If it was 8.56, I would sit there with food in my lap until it was 9. That is OCD. And things like that have happened to me my whole life. And you don't see it until you see it, unfortunately. Um, I've been reading about it so much, obviously, and trying to understand certain things that I found an article from the World Health Organization that, um, on average, a person seeks help after seven years of suffering from OCD. The disorder can be so debilitating that the World Health Organization listed OCD as one of the top 10 most disabling illnesses with consideration given to lost earnings and reduced quality of life. The report also unveiled OCD as the fifth leading cause of disease burden, fifth leading cause of disease burden amongst women in developed countries between ages fifteen and forty-four. So, it's interesting that it affects women more. It sounds like, um, but with postpartum entering the picture, um, like I said, I didn't feel necessarily depressed i didn't know what the anxiety the it didn't feel like anxiety it wasn't like nervous for my child's well-being it was it was more it was something else it was um and turns out i was experiencing postpartum ocd and i met with a psychiatrist a couple weeks ago who told me that she i don't know if this is across the board or if this is just anecdotally her experience she sees postpartum ocd more than postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression it's just very frequently misdiagnosed which makes a lot of sense to me um there are most of the things right now like concerning my daughter I don't feel comfortable sharing but like I'll give an example um just because I hate to like sound cheesy and like say shit like if it helps one person but like I can't explain how fucking isolating this experience is and I wish I would have known about all of this I wish I would have It's like recognizing your demons is the first step. And I get that. But it's very isolating. And it makes me feel really alone. It makes me feel like shit all the time. Um, But I will give an example. Because like I said, OCD always latches onto something. And with my daughter, there's a few things. But a big one, she was born hypothermic. And she... Had to be like under a heat lamp um, to warm her temperature up. And I became obsessed with her temperature because of that. And with OCD, right, if we're talking about like clinical explanations, um, it's a set of hold on, I wanna like read this because I wanna be like, I don't wanna hold on. Okay, so obsessive compulsive disorder, common chronic and long lasting disorder in which a person has uncontrollable reoccurring thoughts or obsessions. Um, that lead to compulsions that he or she feels the urge to repeat over and over again. So with my obsession with Ruth's temperature, I took her temperature constantly, constantly, multiple times a day, unnecessarily. Um, I one time took her to the ER because her temp was low, but she physically felt fine. and hindsight, if we would have realized what was going on, Tabor would have recognized this is not necessary. Um, but I took her to the emergency room because she was registering a really low temperature and we had been outside in the cold and I was obsessed with making sure that she was fine. She was. Um, but that's just an example of how this has resonating, resonated. And it's really... Scary and hard and embarrassing. There's a part of it that's freeing, of knowing that, like, this is the, like, this is it. Um, the medication changed, fucking sucks. I think it's getting better. Um, but it's really hard. I have a, um, I kinda I don't know if I necessarily want to be like done talking about this after because I want to be open about it. I want to put it out into the world and like be completely comfortable having this as a part of my life and talking with people who also experience this because someone really close to me also has it and um, has been incredible in helping me really like understand what's happening to me um. But I don't want to share like a ton because it is like medical information; it is private. But it is also like something worth acknowledging because I just wish I understood this earlier in my life. I do. Um, there are certain things that I just think could have been easier if I would have understand if I would have understood that what was happening to me wasn't normal. Um, because in the last few weeks, I have felt terrorized by my mind. I just wish I could feel normal. Um, I believe that this is one of the top 10 most disabling illnesses because it feels debilitating a lot. Um, and I have some good things that are like on the horizon of I have a couple appointments that you know to try to there are so many different types of therapies and so many different types of treatments and it's just like it's a whole lot of fucking things that are scary and mentally exhausting to even take the step to make the appointment but um, I know it will be effective and helpful so that's starting hopefully soon but um, in talking with Excuse me. Um, in talking with a couple different uh, psychiatrists, and really discovering like how unfortunately common postpartum OCD is, that it is, you know, in postpartum mood disorders, I think we just assume it's postpartum depression, or if you're hyper anxious, you have PPA. Okay, well, there's this third of the holy trinity that is can can honestly manifest in either of those things, and it is going to be misdiagnosed like constantly, because I don't know. I'm doing this in one pass, by the way, and I'm not going to edit any of this because I don't have the um, desire to re-listen to this, honestly. So if I said something that I regret, again, whatever, I'll just take it down. Um, So a psychiatrist who really helped me a couple weeks ago, um, because I've seen a few, she shared with me a woman who um, has a blog about, postpartum OCD and um I'm gonna read it because I've read it over and over and over again when she handed it to me I took a picture of the piece of paper and I sent it to my two best friends and one of them she didn't look at the top of the picture and she just started reading and she texted me and she said at first I thought you wrote this meaning I didn't realize that this these weren't your words because she knows what I've been going through and she believes and knows that these aren't my words. Um, so this is a, um, this was published February, 2018. It's called A Letter to the OCD Mama by Chelsea Elker. Okay. To the mom who suffers OCD in silence, I see you. To the mom who spends all of her me time crying into her pillow, I get it. To the mom whose eyes dart across the room, wondering who is worrying about her sanity, I feel your pain. To the mom who fears holding her child, you'll you're okay. To the mom who fears not bonding with her child, it will come. To the mom who's hungry but can't eat, I've been there. To the mom whose greatest fears are stuck on repeat in her brain, I know it's hell. To the mom who feels trapped in her own mind, you will escape. To the mom who mourns her former self, you will be restored. Right now, you may feel helpless, alone, and misunderstood. You may look in the mirror and not recognize the woman in the reflection. You've always been strong, self-sufficient, and courageous. And now you find yourself needing reassurance for every move you make. The fear is real. The emotions are real. The way out seems impossible. You obsess over having the thoughts. You obsess over not having the thoughts. You cry when the thoughts upset you. You cry more when they don't. I got that one. You wonder where these thoughts came from and fear what they can mean. You long for a clear mind, something you never before considered to be a gift. You became robotic. You don't act how you feel, you act how you think you should. I think that was me today at camp. Your smile is empty, your eyes heavy, your face is still, but your mind is racing. Your body is withering away. I have lost so much weight. Your once strong spirit is begging for shelter, shelter from the thoughts and anxiety, shelter from the chaos, shelter from yourself. You're running, endlessly running. Your mind is running. Your body is running. Staying in one place is the enemy. An empty schedule invites the thoughts. Being alone is not your safe space. You have no sanctuary. Why are you like this? How did you get here? What did you do wrong? You were like this because you love hard. You got here because you're selfless and protective. You did nothing wrong. From the depths of despair, there's hope. OCD feels like an Everest you were never trained to climb. You'll fight this until you don't feel you can go on, and then you will fight some more. You'll find inner strength you never knew you had and discover parts of yourself you didn't know existed. OCD can feel like an identity crisis, Major. Your mind has turned against you, and you feel completely betrayed. I'm here to say it's okay. It's okay to cry hard and long. It's okay to mourn for time lost. For me, that's huge. It's okay to feel defeated, though you swear you won't give up. It's okay to fake being okay long before you feel it. I'm here to tell you everything will be okay. Maybe not now, but eventually. Eventually, the fears will fade. The obsessions will lose their grip on you. Your mind will rest and you'll relax in the serenity of silence. On the other side, you will be stronger. You'll be sensitive and understanding. Empathy will be your greatest strength. On the other side, there is joy and there is peace of mind. On the other side, you will understand yourself far more than you ever could have imagined. The fear will have left you, but the lessons will remain. On the other side, you will know what true strength is. You will have fought for yourself and those you love. You will be able to enjoy your life and your family. You will forgive yourself. You will have overcome unimaginable obstacles. You will be grateful for the little things. You will enjoy simply being. You will be able to help others through their struggle. OCD is like the world's greatest test of character, and I promise you are acing it. So um, that's it. Um, There are a lot of resources that I found. um, I mean, unfortunately, like I don't know why, like something about this, like just feels like tacky to just be like sharing Instagrams constantly. But like, this is how we get our information. I have told so many people. I learned how to be a mom by TikTok. Like, I honestly, everything that I feel like passionately about with motherhood. There are things I've learned on TikTok. And so I hate, you know, just recommending one more thing on social media, but there are a couple of Instagram accounts um, that are OCD focused that have really, you know, in the form of memes or in the form of infographics, made me understand my own mind. And I send them to Tabor all day long and he validates them constantly of saying, I see that. Yep, I get that. And that's a huge part of this is that, like, in sharing these things with my partner, um, he completely, he, he sees our, I think he actually feels a guilt about um, certain things that he thought were me being naggy or me um, being incapable of letting something go. Uh, he understands now. And it, it's different now. He's been the best partner I could have possibly imagined in the last few weeks. Um, he had to go to camp in the middle of all this happening, which was excruciating. And I, you know, was living at my mom's house about 10% because I didn't have power, 90% because I needed someone else to take care of my baby uh, for a little bit. And that was really awful. And my mom was great um and I'm better now I feel better but there were a couple weeks where I wasn't capable of making my daughter breakfast and that was horrible and just adds to the ruminations and the thoughts um but I definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel like I said today like I don't feel great but yesterday I did feel great I felt really great or maybe even the last few days I felt really great. I know getting out of Michigan was a good change of scenery. Like it's so weird. I put this on Instagram, but I am not sure like a ton, but, um, I think for like my close friends or something, I put like, you know, I've had panic attacks every day for two weeks. This was last Monday. I, I, I changed my flight to California three times, like kept paying like a hundred dollars, three different times to change the flight because I, could not fathom getting out of the car. I couldn't even bring myself to pack the suitcases. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do things that are so second nature to me. And that's what I. That's like when you know it's chemical. Like that's when you know like there's something hap- whatever. So I was so in the car. Um, one of my friends came with me to help me out here um, and almost kind of like eased me back into existing and being human and mom. Um, And it was so weird. Like I had, like I said, I changed the flight three times and getting out of the car, I walk in the airport and it was like my body took over. My mind is the scariest place a person could be. And in that moment, my body just took over. It was muscle memory. I was folding down car seats. I was, I was just in it. I was doing it. It was just muscle memory. And I felt hunger for the first time in days. I have lost so much weight um, because my anxiety manifests as an appetite suppressant. Um, it's way better since being here like way better. Um, I didn't like actively seek out a meal for I don't know a week uh, when this all started and when I got to the airport I felt hungry, which my friend Lindsay, um when I was going through a divorce I don't know if I've even ever said that out loud to certain people there's a lot of people who don't know that I was married before which is so interesting to me (laughs) because it just doesn't come up in daily life anymore like it has no there's no reason for it to um but I was married right out of college um and when I was going through a divorce and I was leaving a really bad situation I wasn't hungry I couldn't eat and When I left, when I got to my friend Lindsay's house, Lindsay and Carl, uh, I felt hungry for the first time in so long. And she told me that day, that's your body feeling relief. Hunger means relief. And it means you're safe. And I felt (laughs) at an airport by myself because my friend had like gone ahead of me. I'm by myself with my daughter with like 100 bags, an asshole TSA woman, um, who was like a dick about my stroller. And like I just felt safe. And Rue was in the carrier leaning back staring at the ceiling laughing this like jovial like baby like save the world kind of giggle. And I was just like what the fuck? Like what the fuck? Because like this is the, this this is the this is the experience that 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 you have anxiety about. Like, this is... But it was just, like, my body took over, and I was fine. I was just, like, totally fine. It was very weird. Um, And I've, you know... Mornings are the worst part, and I don't know why. Um, That it's the worst when I first wake up, and then it just gets better throughout the day. Um, So... Uh, yeah, that's where we're at. So I'm going to include a couple of resources, um, in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, if you're someone who's only listening to this just because you like, think it's like interesting or juicy or like want gossip on me, like cool. I don't really care. Um, but if you're someone who's listening to this because you have experienced something like this, or there's someone in your life who's experienced someone like that, something like this, I truly think this might be my calling to help moms, to help pregnant women, to help postpartum, um, to change this experience. Because God is it fucked up. The lack of support, the lack of resources, the, the postpartum experience is a joke. You have a baby, and nobody gives a shit about your body and what it just went through. And then nobody really gives a shit about your mind in what it's going through and this might be the work of my life to to make sure that things change with this and people don't live this way um, because you don't have to so um, thank you for listening I hope this was a safe space Um, I really appreciate it and I actually feel really hungry which is really exciting so I'm gonna go make dinner all right love y'all bye